Hello, my name is Jody Lima, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. Today, I'm going to be interviewing picture book author Laura Sassy about a collection of poems for children written by A.A. A. Milne, and it's titled When We Were Very Young. A.A. Uh, A. Milne, of course, is best known for his Winnie the Pooh books. Uh, but first, like always, I'm going to start with a poem. And the poem today is called Carnivorous Chorus. Uh, it was written by Marilyn Singer, and it can be found in her poetry book, Creature Carnival. Uh, this was illustrated by Gris Grimley, uh, which uh, for a book about very strange creatures seems a very apt name. Carnivorous Chorus. No words found in any thesaurus describe our carnivorous chorus. The harpies are shrieking a murderous tune. The werewolf is clearing his throat at the moon. The manticore trills like a trumpet and flute. It's hard to believe he's a man-eating brute. The sirens sound lovely, their song so alluring. Fans drown in their sound whenever they're touring. We've got special box seats in a really strong cage. I wouldn't advise sitting close to the stage. Be brave and come rave with your favorite beast. But exit at once when it threatens to feast. My guest today is Laura Sassy, author of the picture books Goodnight Manger and Goodnight Ark, as well as Diva Dolores and the Opera House Mouse and Love is Kind, both of which uh, the last two came out in 2018. You can find Laura's website at laurasassytales.wordpress.com. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Laura. Thank you so much for having me, Jody. As I mentioned, you had a couple of books uh, come out in just 2018, one of them being um, Diva Dolores and the Opera House Mouse, which is quite a title. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that particular book is? Sure. So Diva Dolores and the Opera House Mouse is about an, an opera singing seal who has her first chance to be the star of the opera. And she's having, maybe you could call it like, first-time jitters, and she could really use a little extra help. And Fernando the mouse, the opera house mouse, has offered to help her, but she thinks she deserves bigger help than a mouse. What inspired you to write this particular story? Um, well, uh, I was I collect snippets of ideas over time, and so the original snippet of I, for, for the idea was I saw a mouse skittering in the woods, and I thought, well, where? Um, and I wrote a poem for, about that mouse and what his house in the woods might be like. And that was published in Highlights. And I was having writer's block maybe sometime later. And I went back and I found that my little notes about that mouse. And I thought, well, where else could he live? And that I eventually landed upon. Well, you could have the mouse at the opera house. And as soon as I had him at the opera house, then uh, Dolores was not far behind singing and needing some help. <laughs> and are you an, uh, an, uh, somebody who listens to opera yourself? You know, not extensively, but I have been to the opera several times. And I think what appealed to me about the opera house, um, aside from the singing, but more than the singing even, was just the spectacle of the show and how um, the sets sort of act like almost the, the illustrations. And uh, it's very tight. There aren't a lot of words, but every word counts. I just felt like it had a nice feel. So I went for the feel of opera, but I'm certainly not an opera expert or anything like that. <laughs> now, the other book you had come out in 2018 was Love is Kind. If you could talk a little bit about that book as well. 
All right. So uh, Love is Kind is published by Zonder Kids. It's about Little Owl who wants to get wants to show his Grammy how much he loves her by buying her a box of heart-shaped chocolates with his own money. But at the very beginning of the story, he loses the money. And throughout the story, his efforts at getting the chocolates are thwarted, and he ends up coming empty-handed. But in the process, he learns uh, that actually he was the, he, he shows kindness and along the way, and he actually turns out, his grandmother points out that he's the gift, and that's much better. All the kindness he showed along the way is much better than chocolate. Uh, and I got the idea for this uh, from my children. Uh, when they were little, I would say, be kind, be loving. And it's those are abstract concepts for a small child. So uh, I started thinking, well, what are some concrete ways that you can show this? And I just, that's how, that's how the the inspiration began. And there were a couple of things that happened with my kids that I jotted down uh, that I shot, thought showed that. And a couple of those appear in the story. And what was it about owls that you thought would, um, that you thought would be particularly um, useful for telling? I know animals in general, I mean, children seem to respond to animals in not just picture books, I think, and in, in other books as well. Well, there's something universal about animals and transcending about animals. It doesn't pinpoint it to a particular, it's just everyone can relate to an animal. Um, for Love is Kind, I just, I thought I just, I, I hadn't written a book about an owl and I just think owls are so cute. But it's interesting that you ask that because with Diva Dolores, I originally had pictured, um, well, originally, originally, I pictured, of course, Fernando as a mouse and Dolores as a human. Um, but the editor said that they don't usually like to mix talking animals with humans in a picture book. So, um, so I had then thought that perhaps she might be a hippo because I needed something, a contrast between a very large and very small. Um, but when the illustrator did the first drafts of the, of the hippo, she just wasn't quite, she just wasn't quite what any of us were imagining. She just didn't have quite the snootiness or, um, just, she just wasn't diva like. So, um, the the editor the art team said to that the illustrator Rebecca Gerlings go back and I I tell this to kids that when I go to school visits use your imagination and she came back with this wonderful seal who has her snout pointing in the air and these whiskers and she's just perfect for the role so that's how that animal came about <laughs> so sometimes it's a little bit of trial and error to sort of get it just right absolutely yes right I guess you could say with prose, but also with rhyme, and three out of my four are um, rhyming picture books, that there's trial and error there as well with coming up with just the right meter and just the right length of lines and just the right rhythm and pattern that you want for the story so that the rhyme enhances the story and matches the feel of the story. So kind of similar processes both visually and in terms of the language. Is there a little bit of from uh, one of the books that you'd like to share? Sure. Um, since I love rhyme, I will share the opening spread from Diva Dolores and the Opera House Mouse. And Diva Dolores in the and this book was first. What do they call it? first honor book in uh, Angie Karcher's Best in Rhyme for 2019, which was a peer um, a peer judged award. So it was just kind of fun. All right, so here we go. 
Fernando loved, Fernando's the mouse. Fernando loved chocolate and cheese on dry toast and popcorn and gumdrops. But what he liked most was feasting on Mozart, Puccini, and Strauss and lending a paw at the old opera house. Dolores loved glamour and spotlights and praise. She longed to be showered with fragrant bouquets. Now here was her chance, after years in the chorus, to take center stage and be diva Dolores. Me, 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 me. There you have it. <laughs> and I will sing those parts. <laughs> the off-kilter singing. Well, I have to say, you know, that uh, that's really great. Um, I know I've tried my hand at writing uh, picture books, and I think people are under the impression that it's a very easy thing to do. But I, I know that I've never been able to do it very successfully because it's actually a lot more challenging than people realize to um, to get it just right for a picture book. It is. I mean, everything has to be told in 14 spreads. Uh, with a minimum, a minimal amount of words. Every word has to count. It has to almost read like poetry in that it has to be tight and punchy. And if a child doesn't like it, they're just not going to want to read it. They're not, uh, they're not going to pretend they like it. <laughs> so it has to, yeah, you've got a tough audience <laughs> as well. <laughs> Now, I was looking on your website, and you actually um, have given some thought as to what really makes a good picture book. And you have basically uh, this uh, anagram called Punch that uh, helps to explain what what you think really uh, – what are the qualities of, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll, when you look think of a good picture book, what, what they all have in common. Can you explain what Punch is? Sure. So when I first uh... – started writing picture books. And then when I first started my blog, uh, and I still do this, um, every week I go to the library and I'll, I bring home picture books and I study them and look at them and think of them from the writing perspective, what makes them work, how the page turns working, all those, all the different elements that go into a picture book. And I wanted to come up with something, just an easy acronym to help me remember it. And then by extension to help others. So I came up with punch, because uh, I thought that was punchy. So the P in punch is for pacing. Um, that a picture book has to have, you've got to get the story going right away by the first or second spread and have a nice climax by the 12th spread or the 13th and then be and wrap it up um, in an engaging way. And it just has to be done very, the pacing is really important to keep the child interested. And then it helps if it has a U, the U is for unique twist. So there's something, because there's, there's so many similar plot lines. There are similar story time lines, journeys, and different sort of universal um, story plots. But what makes a story unique are uh, the special little twists that you do it. Maybe you have a, the, the setting is unique, or you have an unusual pairing of characters, or what you have really going for it is you have amazing wordplay that really makes it stand out. So thinking what your unique twist is going to be. And then the N is nice and tight just that every word has to count so you can get that story in in 500 words or less. Although I think some picture books are trending longer now, but still not very long. Um, and then the C is character focused. Kids love to be able to identify, I think, with like a, a flawed character who is trying really hard to overcome some obstacle. So I think the best picture books have sort of um, – those flawed characters. I mean, Diva Dolores is certainly f flawed <laughs> and she learns something and Fernando learns something along the way in their opera story. Um, and then uh, humor, H is humor. That might just be my personal preference, but I, 
I love if there's humor. It can be gentle humor. It doesn't have to be slapstick humor. But if there's some humor in a story, often that will make it appealing to the uh, adults reading it as well and as the children. So those, those are, that's my acronym, PUNCH. Um, and it's my probably my every year when I do, they, I get a summary of the top posts. It continues to be the top post or one of the top posts every, every year. So people are going back to use it, which I, I find humbling and neat. <laughs> so you've gotten feedback from people either starting out writing picture books or um, established authors or just people interested in picture books about um, this is a helpful way of um, thinking about them. Yes. Yeah, I'm not sure. I can't see who actually is coming all the time, but uh, yeah, some people are coming. <laughs> And and when you write your own books, I assume this is something you, you keep in mind yourself uh, whenever you're starting a new book out to make sure you have all those particular elements within your own writing. Right. Well, I would say I don't worry about all those at the beginning. I just get my idea down. But over the course of many, many, many revisions, yes, I sort of check off those things, make sure I'm doing those things. And I also... For newer for write for newer writers, at least for me um, and established writers, I find having a critique partner or even even better being part of a critique group really helps you to um, make sure you've got those elements and uh, maybe because we can sometimes be blind to some spots in our own writing and it helps to have someone else take a look at it. And that's really especially true with rhyme. If you have any folks that like writing in rhyme, it's very easy when you're writing your own rhyme, you want to make it work, that you might put the emphasis on the wrong syllable to make it work. And if you have someone else read it to you, they're not going to do that. And then you'll hear that you have to change, <laughs> have to change something. Uh, now, the book you uh, picked as one of your favorite kids' books is uh, When We Were Young, which was written by A.A. A. Milne, known more for the Winnie the Pooh books that he wrote. Uh, this particular book was published in 1924 and uh, was illustrated by Ernest H. Shepard. For readers, and I wasn't familiar with this book myself, for other readers who may not have encountered this book yet, can you talk a little bit of what kind of book it is? Okay. And I realize it's probably an unusual pick for a favorite book, but it really was so foundational to my love of words. And I have such warm memories of my mother reading it to me that it, it, this was the hands down had to be the choice. So this is a book of poems written by A.A. A. A. Milne, and he dedicates the book to, um, to Christopher Robin, who we know from Winnie the Pooh. And it says to Christopher Robin, or as he prefers to call himself, Billy Moon, this book, which owes so much to him, is now humbly offered. So it's a collection of poems that were inspired by things that happened to Christopher Robin, um, moments, just ordinary moments um, that then became the spark for for a poem. And um, yeah, they're lovely. There's some shorter poems and some longer poems. And I just... I have such warm memories of sitting on my mother's lap and having her read these to me. And then we'd read them again and again till I had them memorized. And they became part of part of me, really. We'd be outside and I would connect with something that we'd read in a poem. So he wrote about things like um, he had a stair hat that was halfway up and halfway down, right in the middle. That was his favorite, Christopher Robin's favorite stair to sit on because of, it was neither one place nor the other. And that was hard for his mind to wrap around. And so I, I thought that was kind of neat to sit. I would like to sit on my halfway stair as well. And I'll just share one poem that I liked and, 
and you'll see every word just counts. So this poem is called Happiness. It has wonderful illustrations I'm just looking at here of a little boy in galoshes. John had great big waterproof boots on. John had a great big waterproof hat. John had a great big waterproof Macintosh. And that, said John, is that. And I remember being out in the rain, stomping through puddles and reciting that <laughs> because my mom took the time to read it with me. And we had to talk about what a Macintosh was because that's not something we say in the United States. It's a raincoat. And then I think my all-time favorite, and I won't read the whole thing, but my all-time favorite poem in this was one called um, Disobedience. Uh, and I've referenced it on other blog posts um, but it's about uh, a boy, a, a young child, and so I identified with the young child, who didn't want his mother to leave, to go out. To, she had something she was going to be doing with her friends. And so um, he um, tells her that she can't go, and she goes anyway, um, and then she gets lost, but then she's found. Um, and it, I'll just read how it begins. It begins, James, James, Morrison, Morrison, Weatherby, George Dupree, took great care of his mother, Though he was only three, James, James said to his mother, mother, he said, said he, you must never go down to the end of the town. If you don't go down with me. And then the story proceeds. And then my favorite part at the end, and he's A.A. A. Milne, instead of having it be James, James, Morrison, Morrison, just does the initials. So it's J. And it says now then very softly, it instructs us. So we would read it very softly. So I was learning all about how you could, not realizing it, but how you can play with words and they can sound different. And just, I fell in love with language. So it goes J, J, M, M, W, G, Dupree. And then it continues. And then at the very end, if you don't go down with me, and then we would always shout the last word. So um, just a collection. There's a poem about a little girl who didn't want to eat her dinner. And so she's making a big fuss. There's a poem about always being bothered by why is everyone always asking me to be uh, careful and to be safe when I just want to play uh, and that, she, that he doesn't really care for that. Um, then they just don't understand that a child is meant to play and do these different things. So he just sort of touched on ordinary things that a child can relate to. And I related to them. Hmm. Yeah. Like, like the poems you read and, and a lot of the poems are actually told from the viewpoint of the child. The child is the narrator of the poem. And I'm just wondering, um, just those poems you read and the other poems, just what kind of image of childhood do you get from that? Just from the way the children sort of um, in the poems look at the world around them. Well, I think you kind of have to sort of transport yourself back to the 20s. And I think that was sort of the first, didn't we just celebrate the year, uh, the Children's Book Week in May it was the 100th celebration of that it was sort of like the rise of the child and the child and play, um, the importance of, of um, make-believe and play. I think it was just sort of uh, there were people that were starting to study that sort of thing in the 1920s. And so I think that's just uh, very modern and was probably different from previous generations. Because it is. It's all about his play and his imagination. I know there's one particular line that, that when I was reading it that stood out for me. It's from the one called The Island. Uh, I wrote it down here. I say to myself as I look so lazily down to the sea, there's nobody else in the world, and the world was made for me. And I think uh, for a lot of kids, that kind of sums up the way they sort of feel about the world, that here's the world that's for me, uh, and I'm and here I come. 
Exactly. I think you're right. It captures it, doesn't it? See, you are connecting with it too. <laughs> um, there's another poem that is not in, it's the follow-up to when we were very young is called Now We Are Six. And there's a poem, and I remember when I got that one because I was so proud that I was six. Um, and there's a, po- a wonderful poem in that one about the, the child narrator again um, on a rainy day um, watching two drops of rain race down the window and which one is going to win. And I just, that helped me on many a rainy day trying, and I would sort of reenact that poem and I'd pick two drops and see where they went. And I would also do it with the bathtub when it was draining and I would see which, which drops from the tub would go down into the drain first. And that was all traced back to A.A. Milne. But I picked this one and just to prove, I discovered, um, I loved this book so much and it's really not the kind of book that a a child today would probably pick because you have to, it's mostly text. It has little, little sketches, but that didn't bother me. I, I loved it. I guess it was just a different time. But at the very beginning, it says my name in my handwriting, Laura South. That was my maiden name. And then room five. And I do believe that room five was my kindergarten room. So this is what I chose to take to share with my kindergarten class. <laughs> so it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a book that stayed with you. Yes. I was curious about uh, when I heard about this book, and and after I read it, the title, uh, When We Were Very Young, uh, and trying to sort of figure out what he exactly was saying, like, who are the the we in that, you know, when we were very young. I don't know if he's uh, thinking of kids during his time or thinking back to his own childhood. And I just wondered what you thought about what the title is and what it meant for the poems. Yeah, I mean, the title is a little curious because when we were very young, a child who's young doesn't think of themselves as young. Now we are six is more like a title that a child would make because, yes, I'm big and I'm six years old. I took the now we were we when we were very young to be Christopher Robin and his imaginary friends. That's sort of how I took it. But it but I do like the title of the other one better. I think it's more the way a kid thinks than this one. Uh, this book actually, uh, and there's a there's a link like it's dedicated to Christopher Robin, who actually makes an appearance, I think, in a couple of the poems, as well yes, as yes, he does, uh, as well as uh, Winnie the Pooh in some form, and one of the poems, and it predates the actual uh, Pooh books by a couple of years. And do you see a? I don't know how familiar with the other books, but do you see a, a link between these poems and the sort of whimsical stories that he later on about Christopher Robin and Pooh and all the other characters? I think there probably is a connection. I was never, I guess my mother must not have been a fan of Winnie the Pooh as much because she didn't read those to me. This is what she read. So by the time I read Winnie the Pooh, I wasn't, maybe I was too old for them. I didn't, I didn't care for the Winnie the Pooh as much. It's these poems that really jumped out at me. And I really feel like Christopher Robin comes out and who he was comes out through, through these poems. Um, And I find it interesting that, and it's probably maybe due to Disney, but everyone knows who Winnie the Pooh is. But these these poems are a little bit lost compared compared to the Winnie the Pooh. Everyone knows Winnie the Pooh, but they probably haven't actually read A. A. Milne's Winnie the Pooh. I want to get back to one thing you mentioned earlier about uh, reading like a word like Macintosh in the poems, and it's something interesting because it's a very unfamiliar word. There's a lot of these poem about these poems that's very British, uh, individual words, but also about. Things like visiting the king, the king and, the and, Buck- and Buckingham Palace. And I'm wondering if that's part of their appeal as well, just the um, occasional strangeness of them. 
strangeness and a little bit of formality at the same time as being childlike. So um, to me, that was certainly one of my other favorite poems that I haven't mentioned yet was um, about the king who wanted the butter. Do you remember oh, that yes. one? Oh, yes, I do. The King's Breakfast. And this has that Britishness and formality, but it's, it's sort of tongue-in-cheek formality. So in this poem, the king really wants butter for bread, for his bread for breakfast. But I think everyone's just a little tired. The, dare, the cow says, you know, I'm, I don't want to make the milk. You know, why don't you have marmalade instead? And then it goes back and forth, back through all the characters, back to the king, because the king asked the queen and the queen asked the dairy maid, could we have some butter for the royal slice of bread? The queen asked the dairy maid. The dairy maid said, certainly, I'll go and ask the cow now before she goes to bed. And so basically the cow doesn't feel like making the, the butter. And they go back and she suggests marmalade. But then at the end, they finally, they give in to the king and they get him everything. They, they say, okay. And so at the, at the end, and this is the, the formality, and it's, it's the king makes it funny. So they bring him the bread and then he says, butter, eh? And he bounced out of bed. Nobody, he said, as he kissed the queen tenderly. Nobody, he said, as he slid down the banisters. Nobody, my darling, could call me a fussy man. But I do like a little bit of butter for my bread. But so that definitely does have British formality. But yet it's very funny. It almost gives it, a, in some sense, a like a fairy tale-like quality in that, you know, People say and do strange, even though it's, it's not a fairy tale, obviously magical things don't happen, but it has that sort of, um, it, because it's uh, different customs and, and different language of um, making it a little bit odd, and that has a certain appeal as well. Right. Well, it is magical. I mean, the cow wouldn't talk. I mean, it's, so it, it, it does have that, that feel of imagination. And I would say that's one of the things that appeals about these poems, that there are some that are something about sitting halfway up the stairs that are really sort of very quiet and thoughtful. And then there are other ones about the king who wants the butter for his bread. And um, there's another one about teddy bear. So there, it's like a mix of, just like he says, in his, he says in his introduction, which I never read as a child. What child reads the introduction to something? But it says that, yes, it, it's really all these things that, that Christopher Robin had going on in his make-believe, they inspired him. And so some of them are um, whimsical like that. Now, along with the the poems themselves, which of course are uh, a major part of the book, they're the uh, illustrations I mentioned. The, uh, well, in the book I have, it says, With Decorations by Ernest H. Shepard, um, which I imagine is how they uh, said instead of illustrations. Yes. And, uh, and to me, they're, I mean, the poems are a major part of it, but the illustrations really do work well with the poems. I mean, I'm looking at the the, the cover of the page with the little girl kicking off her yes. uh, shoe. And I just, uh, what, how, what are the, what do you think the illustrations um, bring or help to support the poems? Oh, they absolutely do. They do in a very simple black ink or pencil, I guess, what he, whatever he was using. Um, they capture the essence of each poem and they give you something to look at while your mother is reading you the poem. And they do capture, I think the emotion of, of, uh, of the child or the, or the childlike king in the poem. One of my favorite, I think is the one that it's on your cover, but it's not on mine. The one with the little girl cooking, kicking off her shoes. And you can tell she's throwing a tantrum because the chair's about, she's at a, in her high chair at the table and she doesn't want her rice pudding for dinner. Um, and it does, that picture captures the motion and the, the emotion 
of that poem, which is Mary Jane, what's the matter? She's having a tantrum. It's because she doesn't want rice pudding again. It's interesting. You can't see her face, but you know exactly what she's thinking. Oh, you know exactly. Yes. And I was that. I remember being like that. And I certainly remember my little sister being like that. So <laughs> she was the more temperamental one. Uh, now, you, you've shared a, a lot of the poems. Uh, I was wondering if there are any other additional uh, poem that you wanted to just uh, share that you hadn't got, had a chance to get to? Well, maybe a good one to close on is the halfway, the halfway stair one. And the illustration for this is wonderful. It shows Christopher Robin just sitting quietly and he's sort of discarded his toys that are at the top of the stairs and he's just sitting, his eyes look like they're closed and it's very like, he's very pensive. And it, the poem goes, halfway down the stairs is a stair where I sit. There isn't any other stair quite like it. I'm not at the bottom. I'm not at the top. So this is the stair where I always stop. Halfway up the stairs isn't up and it isn't down. It isn't in the nursery and it isn't in the town. And all sorts of funny thoughts run through my head. It isn't really anywhere. It's somewhere else instead. And that, I think, sums up imagination. <laughs> I was going to say, it's, it's one of those poems. I'm not sure I could explain uh, what the poem is about, but I know exactly what it's saying at the same time. Right. Well, it's about how kids, you know, kids always come up with the most amazing questions that don't seem like they make sense at first, but then you know exactly what it is they're asking somehow. This is kind of one of those poems. He's just pondering space and time and where he is. It's actually quite deep. Oh, yes. I, I think so. I think so. <laughs> well, Laura, uh, thank you for bringing this book to my attention. I, I mean, I, I hadn't even heard of it before, and so this is the first time I read it. And thank you for taking the time to talk to me about your own books and this book in particular. Well, wonderful. This was just such a nice chat. Thank you so much. You can find Laura's website at laurasassytales.wordpress.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music, titled All Together, is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can visit me at jleemont.com or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And if you'd like to participate in a Dream Gardens podcast, go to the contact page on my website and send me a note telling me who you are and what book you'd like to talk about. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. <laughs>